We are live on various electronic gadgets. I'm Dave Rubin, this is the Rubin Report, and it's another Friday roundtable extravaganza for you today on a Thursday. <laughs> we can do anything these days. Uh, joining me is a board certified internist and host of Ask Dr. Drew, Dr. Drew Pinsky, and president of the Brownstone Institute, Jeffrey A. Tucker. Drew, Jeffrey, welcome back to the Rubin Report. Good to be here. Thank, Thank you so much. I love that you become Johnny Carson. <laughs> <laughs> when I walk in, you know, this is our, our new garage studio here. And when I walk in from my actual house, when I open up the door, I play the Tonight Show theme song so the uh, guys can well. give me a round of applause. And, you know, I've got an alcoholic like Ed McMahon over here. It's, it's very <laughs> impressive. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm glad to have you guys on. I thought right before we started that you guys had been on together. I've wanted to have the two of you together, but apparently not. But, Jeffrey, you do go on on Drew's show often. So we're gonna talk some COVID stuff, we're gonna talk some uh, economy stuff, and uh, oh, and then we lost an F-35 plane for a couple days. So a whole bunch for you. Before we get to it, let me tell you guys about TWC Health. Uh, guys, I wanna introduce you to the guys at Wellness Company and specifically their medical emergency kit. Awake doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough started the Wellness Company to build a parallel healthcare system and bring about change in a corrupt and failing system. Part of that is, to, is helping you to take control of your health and supporting you through whatever the next thing is that gets thrown our way. Most people don't trust healthcare right now. In fact, over 40% of Americans say they would avoid a doctor or a hospital unless it was a catastrophic situation. Man, Drew, I have you on for the right ad. Uh, that's where the wellness company... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, good, good, good. Uh, the wellness company's medical emergency hit comes in eight potentially life-saving medications for you to keep on hand in times of need. Natural disasters, supply chain shortages, medical emergencies, etc. Rest easy knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics to help keep you and your family safe. The kit includes a comprehensive guidebook, so you never have to guess how much to take or when to take it. If you're like me and you want to make sure your family is prepared for the unexpected, go to twc.health slash Reuben. Use code Reuben for 15% off at checkout. That's twchealth.com slash, wait, that's twc.health slash Ruben, code Ruben for 15% off. And now back to me. Drew, you want to chime in on that? Because I didn't yeah, even I, realize that was our ad for today and it fits. I, I'm an advocate for TWC. I work with them. But this kit particularly, it's exact, I mean, almost precisely, I don't know why this hasn't been done sooner, what I think people need for travel amongst other things. If you travel, it's a perfect kit and then it's got a guidebook and you meet with a doctor to talk about it. It's just exact, I just, it, this is the future of healthcare, frankly. So here we go. Well, there you go, guys. You don't need my endorsement. Get it straight from Dr. Drew. All right, before we jump into the show, Jeffrey, every time you are on this show for the rest of uh, eternity, I will always give you credit as the guy more than anybody else that was in my circle that you were against lockdowns, you were against all of the craziness, two weeks to stop the spread, all of it from day one, and that kind of sets us up uh, for the first story today, because some info came out about Fauci's finances the other day. We've got a quote from the Daily Mail. A Freedom of Information Act request filed at the end of his tenure revealed Fauci and his wife, Dr. Christine Grady, had a net worth that exceeded 11 million in 2022, up from 
1.6 million in 2019. So you can see he had a nice bump uh, during the COVID years. He also was the highest paid uh, employee in the federal government, about 400 grand a year. Jeffrey, I will start with you. I know you don't love the policies of Fauci, but uh, what do you make of a guy like him basically getting super rich and, and you know, half of his wealth basically came in these last three years? One wonders if this has any relationship to why he changed his mind about lockdowns and even about vaccines uh, in February. So, you know, he was against lockdowns. He thought that COVID was going to be just a kind of a, a serious flu, probably. Uh, he wrote the Washington Post at the time a, a letter that said, we don't need vaccines to get out of this pandemic. It's going to go, go away on its own. And then uh, come, you know, about February 26th or something like that, he, f he flipped in the other direction. Why exactly uh, that happened, uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, but I've always assumed it had something to do with the Wuhan lab, gain-of-function research, and the possibility that NIH was itself <clears throat> responsible to some extent to, and to, you know, for, for, the, for a lab leak that might have led to the pathogen. And uh, he was led to panic. But I, I cannot fill in the details. This is a lot of what my own research team is doing all the time is trying to figure this out. But there's a lot of money sloshing around. You know, the fact that he ends on the other side of this uh, much richer than he was before. Uh, we don't have clarity really on the relationship between his personal finances and other NIH employees and royalties from uh, vaccine companies, for example. Uh, it's very difficult to get that information. It takes, you know, a lot of, of investigation. Uh, there's just a lot more to know, and I would like to know. Drew, I'm not saying actually that there's anything nefarious here, but the optics on this kind of thing, where the guy goes from seven mil, again, as a, as a government employee, you know, humble, yeah. everyone said he was a humble government employee, and da, 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 do. it gets to about 12 million now, like just optics wise. And I know you have a, you have a bit of a, is it fair to say, complex relationship with him? Yes, 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 Com complexity, because I, you know, I, he, I was a deep admirer since the AIDS pandemic. In fact, why I got involved in radio is, he, when I was a young physician working on AIDS patients hand over fist, he was out there saying, you got to get out and educate. It's interesting. A lot of his fear uh, techniques were precisely what he applied in the COVID pandemic. It just wasn't appropriate at all. Uh, we, we actually uh, congratulated ourselves for scaring an entire generation of high school and college students that they were going to get AIDS. Then they didn't. And we congratulated ourselves. Uh, with COVID, it ended up being a catastrophe. But I actually, when I saw 11 million, I was actually relieved because the rumors I was hearing about his participation <laughs> and possibly in some of these, some of these extraordinary uh, chain, extraordinary sums of money that were flying around during COVID, I, I it now needs to be explained why I went from seven to 12. That's the bad optics here. I mean, but if he's, you know, saved his his and his wife's salary over many, many, he's 80-something years old, I mean, it's possible he could make save $7 million. That's possible. But this sudden bump is what needs to be mm -hmm. explained. We need to see what's going on in there. But again, there were lots of more serious allegations flying around. So for me, it was a little bit of a relief. Right. Yeah. And by the way, he, the amount of money he, he's made in this is kind of insignificant to, I would argue, a lot of the confusions that he pushed on the American people. And he's yes. still out there, even though he's out of the job right now, he's still out there on TV every single day, every big news show saying mm -hmm. things that I think are actually very confusing, if not outright lies. Uh, let's show you one from the last uh, day or so. 
Again, we have experience with this type of vaccine in billions of people. It's a safe vaccine. Of course, with the mRNA, there's a very, very, very low risk, particularly in young men, of getting a myocarditis. But if you look at the risk of myocarditis from COVID itself is greater than the risk of the vaccine. Drew, I asked you right before we started the show because I yeah. wanted to make sure I was getting it right. I could not yeah. find anything that said that, that what he just said there is true, that the risk of uh, getting myocarditis from COVID in young men is higher than if you were to be back. So we couldn't find that. And, and just on a personal note, I know a, a guy who's in his early 20s, college right. age, uh, who has myocarditis now, who had no right. health problems before COVID. Right. And he was forced to get vaxxed to go to college. Right. So c- can you hit this one? So, so this is the complexity of this situation. What Fauci is reporting a study that was did show a little higher incidence of myocarditis from COVID across all ages. Mm. And myocarditis mm-hmm. from COVID is, in terms of persistent myocarditis, very rare in young people. In older people, there often is a component of myocarditis that resolves when the COVID goes away. The problem here is exactly what, Dave, you're pointing out. You're taking a healthy person, forcing them to put something in their body and making them sick. And and Fauci said something accurate. It's It's a safe vaccine for the most part, rare risk of myocarditis, true even rarer risk of severe COVID in that age group. So the risk reward, mm-hmm. this is the part they have left out since the beginning of COVID, yep. which is that the risk of COVID is nil. The risk of myocarditis is somewhat above nil. Therefore, the risk reward doesn't really balance out, especially if you're going to mandate. And this is at the core of what Aaron Cariotti has been saying, a psychiatrist yep. who was, was drummed out of his position as the head of bioethics for raising this very issue. You don't have justification for mandates given the actual risk reward. By the way, I think he was also kicked off YouTube. He is on Rumble, just uh, just FYI. Uh, Jeffrey, when, when you hear Fauci on the news now, do you think everyone will fall for it all over again? You know, it seemed like a few weeks ago at the at the beginning of September, they were really on this push to kind of bring COVID back. Dr. Jill yeah. Biden got it. Whoopi got it. Like schools are starting. You better watch out. It seems like it didn't quite take. But I'm, I'm always looking for that moment where yeah. suddenly they're like, OK, new variant, let's roll. And you know that a whole bunch of people are just going to fall for it all over again. Mm, yeah, I did. a lot of people will, but but uh, there's a passionate minority that will not, and they're very well informed. They're super active. They're very attentive to the news. I don't know how what percentage of the population is. Is it 20 percent, 25 percent, that are just going to say no lockdowns, no more uh, boosters? We're going to know more, by the way, after the we get the data on the uptake of the new uh, the new vaccine that just came out. Isn't it that isn't that though incredible that even now they're on TV pushing new vaccines? I think I think it was Kathy Hochul in New York pushing a new vaccine for six month olds. I mean, Drew, there's simply no way they've been. I mean, first of all, I think it would be criminally insane to be testing this on six month olds. But but that they get out there and say it again. Yeah. So there's many layers to that. Uh, Again, we've never, ever mandated or actually even recommended a treatment for a population that hasn't been specifically studied 
infants, pregnant women. Now, we've got some track record with this thing. We do. That's actually true. But we are one of the only countries in the world to recommend this vaccine for the under the age of 50. Uh, and most are not recommending for the, under the age of 65. And full disclosure, my elderly patients are fully vaxxed and boosted and have benefited. They are starting to complain, though, a little bit lately about side effects of the vaccine. I had not seen that until recently. And even the elderly population have a lot to be gained. Again, they gain a lot from the vaccine. So the risk-reward reverses for them, right? And even they have become somewhat skeptical, which really surprised me. I mean, I know people beyond my friend who has myocarditis. I know people that are having balancing issues. I know someone having a, a vision yeah. problem. Drew, you yeah, mentioned yeah. to me, I, was it COVID or vaccine related? Weren't You were having like some cognitive stuff at one point, right? I had long, I had long COVID. And again, you have to realize there's, there is vax injury. There is long vax. These people, I have several people I know that have had this long fatigue syndrome that looks just like long COVID. But my experience with long COVID is that it's more likely to resolve within one to three months. The long vax has been the people I'm seeing have had it for 18 months, 24 months, and it really is disabling. And it makes sense because for some people, they seem to be persistently creating spike protein. And of course, spike is the source of the toxicity, we believe. Jeffrey, uh, as one of the guys that didn't fall for it, and again, yeah. I will always give you credit. I, I should have had you on every day at the beginning of this thing. Uh, what would you say to the people that are on the fence now that really they still, you know, they kind of have woken up a little bit, but they just, they just listen to the people that are supposedly in charge? Well, I find it remarkable that what Dr. Drew said is correct. I mean, after three and a half years, we're still not getting honesty from the top about the uh, the age gradient of the medically significant risk from this pathogen. Um, even aside from even considering wild type or Delta or Omicron or this latest whatever it is, it's just not a risky uh, a pathogen for working a healthy working age people to say nothing of children where it's at zero. So the vaccine issue here is very strange because usually you evaluate drugs on whether they're safe and effective, and that's an important criteria. But in this one, the very first question is, is it necessary? And for the overwhelming number of people out there, it's just simply not necessary. It doesn't even pass that test. And that's, that's always been the case. I mean, we knew the age gradient of risk from this pathogen from February of 2020. And yet here we are barreling ahead with the vaccine, with the mandates, with these universal recommendations. And uh, Biden, you know, uh, was, you know, arguing for what, 70, 80, 90%. I think even Fauci at mm -hmm. some point said we wanted 90% of the population vaccinated. Why? It's just, I'm sorry, but you're going to, you're going to get sick. Uh, you're going to develop uh, your, your immune system is going to scale up to adapt to it. That's how we've gotten out of every pandemic in the past. This vaccine was never necessary for, for, for healthy working age uh, people. And, and, you know, and I, I have keep, to say, oh, go ahead. Drew. I keep asking the question, why? I mean, what, I, I keep asking. I, I want to understand. I really try to always understand both sides of these these issues. Yeah. And so I, I'd like somebody to explain to me why the kids, why pushing so hard on the kids? And it's literally no answer when I ask Can, I, can I give you my theory on that? Well, my uh, theory is that they're going for herd immunity, which is something they yeah. started with, but they're not going to get there. It's just impossible. Right. What's your That's theory? Right. What's your theory? Uh, well, uh, go uh, ahead. On that point, Dr. Drew, about herd immunity, so so that that's that's conditioned on the idea that the vaccine stops transmission. I yeah, mean, yeah, there, of course. There's no way yeah. you can no. obtain herd immunity with a vaccine that actually doesn't stop infection Correct. and doesn't Correct. stop it's transmission. A, and we recognized very early on 
that neither was true, which is to say that there is no public health benefit to these vaccines. They do not get us to herd immunity. There might be a private benefit, but they do not make a contribution to obtaining herd Correct. immunity. Correct. Correct. So that Drew, is, my, you know, yeah. My yeah. response would be a little darker, I suppose, which is <laughs> which is that when they realized that the vaxes weren't quite working the way that they wanted them to, or that they had planned or whatever, they really started pushing it on kids because they knew once they had parents doing it to their own children, the parent could never turn, like you. once you have injected your child with something that you don't know why you did it or what it was gonna do to them, you sort of have to be in on that forever because the, the, the come to Jesus moment of, oh my God, I listened to some government bureaucrat and I did something that now may have given my kid a heart problem or, or a litany of other things, I think it just forced more people to sort of be for it forever because to confront the reality that you might have had something to do with harming your own child is, is just so crazy. I don't even think that's much of a conspiracy theory, but speaking of the people that, that sort of lied all the way, this is just like the perfect storm of stupidity. Lori Lightfoot, who was, of course, was the basically communist mayor of Chicago and destroyed that city. What happens uh, when you're a communist? Politician, you get fired or kicked out, and then you end up at Harvard. That's where she's lecturing now. And check this out uh, from the Chicago Sun-Times. Former Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot is officially a college lecturer, at least for a semester, as her graduate-level class on health policy and leadership (laughs) at at Harvard University got underway last week. Stay tuned, guys. Lightfoot said she will use a mock press conference a simulated community meeting and guest speakers to teach in part about the dangers of politicizing a pandemic and how to interact with the media, drawing on lessons learned from running a city amid COVID-19. I just wanna get that right again because we're gonna show you a clip right now. She is running a graduate level class on health policy and leadership. And now I would like to show you a little bit of that health policy and leadership Lightfoot style, Chicago, middle, middle of COVID, go. We're not playing games, we mean business, and we are gonna shut this down one way or the other. The time for educating people into compliance is over. We will shut you down, we will cite you, and if we need to, we will arrest you, and we will take you to jail. Well, I don't think I can say what I'm thinking because I don't want to get demonetized today. We've been demonetized twice this week. Jeffrey, you want to field this one? Well, she's got a nice colleague over there with Jacinda Ardern, who's enjoying two fellowships at Harvard. So Harvard's become this sort of sanctuary for the lockdowns. Today in Epoch Times, ironically, I wrote a column called The Valorization of the Tyrants. And it's all about Ardern's appointment at Harvard with these two fellowships of the Kennedy School of Government. And Yoel Roth, who was the uh, trust and safety uh, uh, czar at uh, Twitter 1.0, just got hired by the the University of Pennsylvania and uh, the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace with the big fancy scholarship. So this is what's happening to all these And Brian Stelter, don't forget, Brian Stelter is now teaching media at Harvard. I mean, you get fired. (laughs) You ruin a country yeah. in Jacinda's case, and yeah, you get you end up at these schools. 
Yeah, so maybe uh, maybe uh, Trump's favorite Mario Cuomo will be next, you know, full professorship. You know, that'll be. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's very strange because it's a small junta of the of people <clears throat> out there that engaged in these unprecedented policies. We've never pursued lockdowns like this: business closures, school closures, uh, church closures, uh, keeping the big box stores open, shutting down all the small business, ruining everybody's lives, inflating the money supply by six point five trillion dollars and causing rampant inflation, uh, uh, worse, <clears throat> getting to the point it's just as bad as it was in 1979. We've never done anything like this for, you know, a basic uh, spread of, of a new virus. Nothing like this in, in the whole history of, of modern life. And, 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 and we see the results. The results are terrible demoralization, loss of education, loss of health. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, it's they, they've obtained the opposite and yet they're being rewarded for it. I mean, no, Dave, it just there's something broken about the world or something broken about academia uh, that that this kind of thing would be happening. Well, well, that's actually a great segue. Drew, can you just bring us home on this COVID thing uh, in terms of yeah. saying broken as, as someone that has spent, you know, three, four decades in public life at this point trying to communicate science yeah. to yes. try to take complex ideas and bring them yes. to common people, uh, is your faith just completely busted, not only on, on the COVID front, but also the, the political front? I mean, you hear someone like Lightfoot, she had no idea what she was talking about. Correct. Uh, and it's just like this confluence of stupidity. So, yeah, so I have many thoughts. One is that was very familiar for L.A. County. I mean, that's what it felt like in California, too. So that was nothing unusual for us out here in the West. Yes, the I left. Is, you were at my yeah, goodbye dinner. Yeah, because of that. And, and by the way, let's be fair. She's saying it'll involve lessons learned. I'm dying to know what lessons she learned. I, I really want to know what did she <laughs> learn during this? Because my suspicion is nothing because there's an irrational certainty that yeah. has gripped people that have no understanding of the topic of health and particularly infectious diseases. It's exactly when, when they closed the schools here in Los Angeles, I was on a nightly program here in, at uh, Channel 11, and the school board came in and said, we're closing the schools. And I said, who told, what doctor, what per, what professional who works in this area, who has some degree of judgment with this, told you to do that? No one. We think mm -hmm. it's the right thing to do. We're certain yeah. it's the right thing to do. In my world, we have rational uncertainty. We're trying to arrive at an approximation of the truth. Irrational certainty leads to untoward harm. And that harm is always perpetrated by people who have no knowledge in a subject matter. They are bureaucrats and have no health experience whatsoever and are making risk-reward judgments. Really, they're not making risk-reward judgments. Right. They are making these bizarre, sweeping fiats that have profound adverse effect without understanding what they are doing. And this irrational certainty is the thing that has gripped us. Now, as far as health communication goes, that's one of the things I was gobsmacked by during the pandemic because we learned during HIV and AIDS how to change behavior. It was through narrative and through delivering stories about people like the people you want to change the behavior of, using humor and music and letting people see the consequences of choices. We There was a discipline for mm -hmm. years involved in changing health behavior. All of that was tossed out the window in the name of authoritarian authoritarian kinds of weird centralization of decision-making that was like nothing in human history. You guys, Jeffrey said in modern history, I would posit in human history, period. 
Yeah, that's probably correct. You know, there are other features of this thing we still don't understand. How did it happen that all the hospitals at the same time all over the country shut down to everything except uh, uh, emergency surgeries and COVID? I mean, how did that happen? So, you know, all the cancer screens have gone and we're seeing a huge increase in cancer, uh, yep. partially as a result of that. But elective surgeries were gone. The hospitals were starved of, of revenue. We got dancing nurses and other things. How did, who made that decision? Uh, I asked an expert about this, about the hospital protocol, which were very often deadly during this period. You know, who made this decision, the de decision to shut all the hospitals in the whole country, whether COVID was there or not, to shut them all down for everything but COVID. And we, do you know that we still don't have an answer to who precisely made that decision? It's so strange. And and the division of the workforce between essential and unessential, you know, just one day, it was, it was March 18th, uh, 2020, this organization called CISA, Cyber Infrastructure Security Infrastructure, I don't know, agency, uh, not the Department of Labor, but CISA sent out a PDF and you had to read the PDF to find out if you were essential or not. They mm -hmm. split the workforce right down the middle and, and created this kind of weird techie feudalism uh, just by, by, by executive fiat. I mean, who gave CISA that authority? And, we're and, still and to say to, to people, put, putting aside the ridiculousness of it, I mean, to say to a certain set of people, you are unessential to, to the operation of this world and this economy and America, you are actually unessential. But speaking of unessential people, Janet Yellen, let's move on to the economy. Uh, Janet Yellen uh, is telling us that the economy, I think, is kind of doing all right. It's a little unclear. Take a look. We still have a good, healthy labor market. Consumer spending remains quite robust. We've seen strong industrial production. Um, I don't see any signs that uh, the economy is um, at risk of a downturn. And this is the best of all worlds. To Jeffrey, I'm wow. kind of a two minds on this one because, you know, first on a ground, like just my life, like I'm here in Florida, South Florida, especially, but Florida is just flourishing. So many people are moving here. There's construction yeah. everywhere. We're building roads, infrastructure, new businesses. Like, so I get that that's a very micro version of this. On the other hand, is she saying there's no signs of a problem, but interest rates, if you were trying to buy a house right now, you're basically paying about 9%. Wouldn't yeah. that in alone be some indicator of a bit of a problem? Uh, well, yeah, that, uh, that, that's right. But you know, everything she said is false. The labor markets are not healthy. And you're right about Florida, right? Florida and Texas seem to be you know, among all the states be doing pretty well. But, you know, I'm, I'm over here in the Northeast, I can tell you, it's not looking so good. But even if you look at the data on, let's just consider labor, for example. Um, she says, oh, labor markets are fine. She's talking about the unemployment rate, you know, which has no relevance whatsoever uh, these times. Labor market participation has still not recovered from the pandemic. And I'm starting to be get really incredulous about the BLS's uh, labor releases, the last one, was claiming all these glorious job creation. When I looked at the numbers, and they said that part-time jobs for economic reasons were unchanged. When I went and looked at the actual tables that they published, it said the opposite. Uh, there was a 5.4% increase in part-time jobs for uh, for economic reasons and a reduction in full-time jobs. So I'm looking at this thinking, okay, so people are losing full-time jobs and picking up part-time jobs even though they want a full-time job and they can't get it. And that's up 5.4% in one month? And hmm. you call that a healthy labor market? This is not a healthy labor market. Uh, and, Drew, to and, connect and, this... And, 
Yeah, go ahead. And yeah, and everything else, everything else she said is just completely wrong. And of course, they never want to talk about inflation, which, by the way, is coming back again. Contrary to my predictions, I thought it would be down to 3% by now. No, it's at 3.4%. And actually, if you annualize last month's increase in inflation, it comes to 7.8%. And mm -hmm. in energy services, we're in double digits, 10.4%. So it's, it's re-accelerating. Right, so isn't that the part, Drew, that I think most people can see where, so the average person obviously isn't gonna dive yeah. into the economic charts the way Jeffrey is, but the average yeah. person can see when you go to the store, things do seem to be more expensive and your dollar is not going as far. Like, isn't that really kind of the simplest way to look at this? 100%. I, I mean, I, that's a great model for looking at everything other than what the centralized authorities are telling you. Are you gonna believe me or your lying eyes? Mm -hmm. What do you see around you? What do you feel? It's overwhelming. It's talked about constantly. Go to a restaurant and see if you don't feel it immediately when the check comes. It is everywhere and everyone is aware of it. And it feels, I have no other, again, I'm not an economist, but it feels rickety. It feels like it, it could all of a sudden topple. And the people that are suffering the most, of course, are young people trying to get their lives going. They look at in California, Unless you're a homeless person, you are you are just a piggy bank for the state. That's it, and, and, right. and it's it's unfortunate. It's just it's it's atrocious. Yeah, I feel terrible for people that are getting their lives going out here. Let's uh, uh, let's it, throw to one more. Let me throw to one more clip of uh, Janet Yellen because interestingly, she's talking about. So she's sort of saying the reverse of what we're saying right now. That there is a disc. Well. It's not quite the reverse, but she's basically saying there's a disconnect but what she, with what she claims the reality is, Jeffrey doesn't agree with that, versus what the public perception is. Mm. I don't, I'm not asking you to play therapist with the American voter, but there seems to be a disconnect between the numbers we're seeing and the way people are feeling about the economy, and how do I, you account for it? I, I agree with you that there's a disconnect, and um, I don't have a simple and convincing answer, but Americans have been through a lot. The pandemic really took a toll on American families, on children, on households. Um, we are enjoying a remarkable recovery, but um, also with high inflation, much of it reflecting supply bottlenecks that developed uh, during the pandemic and then with Russia's brutal um, attack on Ukraine, we saw a surge in uh, gas prices, in food prices. Um, so Americans have um, been reeling from high inflation. They do realize in polls that it's coming down. And Americans' financial situation actually improved uh, during the pandemic. Drew, thank you for that collective groan. I think I think that was you, <laughs> Jeffrey. It was Jeffrey that, and me. That, oh, yeah. both of you. All right. The way though that she combines all of these things, right? So and like I was just shocked it didn't get to climate change. Also, right? I, like, I, of I, course I, that'll yes. be. That, I, we probably cut the clip too early. But this combination of things that sort of have nothing to do with each other, but are the talking points of the day. She did it very seamlessly there. Yeah, she's very clever. Well, you know, when she refers to the pandemic was devastating, the pandemic response. Yes, that's exactly my take. I, I thought it's not the pandemic, it's what we did. It's what we did yeah. in response to the pandemic that destroyed everybody. The virus didn't cause us. And yeah. did you catch how she's blaming supply chains for the inflation? They never want to talk about the Federal Reserve, you know, which which unleashed, you know, helicopter money worth $6.5 trillion. You know, we've never seen, at the height, it was something like 27% annualized 
annualized increase. Uh, just uh, yeah, just uh, incredible. And as for Americans doing better, yes, we got stimulus payments. Do you know the value of those stimulus payments is now gone in light of all the inflation? We've the, the dollar has be. lost between 16 and 20 cents from mm -hmm. its two, 2019 uh, 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 uh value. And so the stimulus payments are gone. It was the greatest head fake in the history of economics. I mean, it's like, look, you're rich, you're rich. Oh, thanks. This is wonderful. And and then they just took it all away uh, through inflation. As for uh, the Americans being better off right now, she's completely neglecting a very interesting survey that comes from the Census Bureau. Now, I trust this one because this is where the Census Bureau is actually asking people, how much money do you, are you making this year? And the, the survey comes out every year. It's not from the BLS. It's not from uh, uh, an agency that the Biden administration has now kind of gotten clever at controlling. It's from the Census Bureau. So I tend to trust it. It comes out once a year. It just came out. American median household income is down for the third year in a row in real terms. Mm -hmm. So what she said is absolutely wrong. And I, let me just finish on this. One of the she says there's no risk of a downturn. Well, you know what? There was never an upturn. And, and I've argued this at length in many, many places. I don't think we ever left the recession of March 2020. And everything else is an illusion. That's my Right. So it's funny because she's kind of saying it's an optics problem. And in a weird way, you're saying, well, yeah, you guys have lied about everything. So there's a grand optics problem. Maybe yeah. not the one she's talking about. Uh, this idea, though, Drew, uh, of stimulus, where they give us back money, isn't yeah. that sort of the problem in the first place? Like, why is it that nobody is ever like, oh, oh how about we take less of your money in the first place? You figure right. out what to do with your own money instead of us just giving you crumbs back that we took from you. People don't seem to put that together. Yes, this is the part that nobody can understand is that they, I, I remember, I, it reminds me of when uh, I was interviewing one of the heads of the, the budget director, uh, the chairman of the budget director com budget committee here in California. And she was talking about these, you know, shortfalls. And, and I said, yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, she goes, well, we don't have the money. And so I go, yeah, so what? She goes, well, you know, uh, the federal government needs to just give us the money. We need, <laughs> need, I, I was like, what? Where yeah. do you, where do you, this is the head of the budget committee. Where do you yeah. think money comes from? Yeah. I, I'm also thinking about, you know, the richest man in the, in the world, in the history of humanity, was a Mali king named Mansa Musa. And he went on a grand European tour. This was like thousands of years ago. And he had so much gold, he handed out wherever he went. And by doing that, he crashed the economy of mm -hmm. everybody he visited. And he had to go back in and buy the gold back to stabilize their economies on his way home. It's a perfect uh, example of what they're doing all over the place. Yesterday, we showed a clip of Eric Adams in New York City who made New York a sanctuary city. And now he's upset as to what happens when you just allow 10,000 people a month in. And his answer was, well, we don't have the money anymore. We put $2 billion towards it. We need more money from the federal government. And it's like, guys, the federal government let all these people in in the first place. It just never ends. But sorry, let, let's finish up with the ridiculous story of the week because the government, which clearly none of us are loving these days, it also lost an F-35 for a couple days in South Carolina. This is absolutely wild from the Hill. Uh, the U.S. military is hunting for an $80 million F-35 fighter jet after a pilot ejected from the military aircraft near Charleston, South Carolina on Sunday. Officials at Joint Base Charleston said they were working with a local Marine base to locate an F-35 that was involved in a mishap Sunday afternoon. The pilot ejected safely from the jet and is receiving medical care. 
If you have any information that may help our recovery teams locate the F-35, please call the base defense operations and blah, blah, blah. They wrote on Twitter. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, in case you haven't seen it, somebody did find the jet. Fear not. I love this guy. This is Randolph White in South Carolina. This guy should, is a national hero as far as I'm concerned. Normally it's pretty quiet, but on Sunday afternoon... I was in the, uh, in the bathroom taking a shave. And I heard a, a screeching, saw that between a screech and a whistle. I said, what in the world is this? And I heard a boom. Then my whole house shook. White says he didn't realize it was a plane at the time, so he didn't call anybody. The crest thought came to me. I said, must what, is a meteorite coming out of space or something? And I said, well, if the airplane, it needed to be reported. Look, the thing was flying. I swear to God, I would rather have that guy in charge of whatever the high hell is going on here than Lori Lightfoot or Anthony Fauci or Janet Yellen. Or <laughs> I'm going to go down I, and have lunch with him. Drew, isn't his story just, isn't it just I perfect? Like they literally lost an F-35 and they asked people to call them if they found it. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. brilliant example of government incompetence. But, you know, H.L. Mencken said, thank goodness we don't get all the government we pay for. You know, so, you know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> but I, I got to say something. I, you know, pilots I talk to keep saying the same thing, which is a, a, a aircraft that is still flying, you don't eject from. And so this mishap, that's such a carefully huh. chosen word. They will, they will glide the plane. They will do all kinds of things with the plane to kind of get it towards something like a landing or a safety or unless it's rapidly ch changing altitude, which they did not say that. They did not say a mechanical error. They did not say a major malfunction. They said some sort of mishap. And that is a bizarre choice of words. It's mm. a bizarre response. They couldn't track an F-35 and where it was going. Did it, was it hacked? Was it taken over? Did the pilot do something egregious? I mean, there's there's lots of possibilities here other than something routine, which right. would well, be a major mechanical malfunction. They did not say that, and the plane did not lose altitude before the, the pilot took out. To be clear, Drew, the pilot is now blaming this on bad weather. It still doesn't explain why they lost the plane yeah, after. F-35 <laughs> can't fly through bad weather? Well, that's, climate change. If that's climate true, change. If that's true, I want my $85 million back. Yeah, exactly, Drew, it's made by the government. I mean, come on, but watch, this is just perfect. This is perfect government 101. Here is uh, John Kirby, uh, who has become sort of the most, you know, Corinne Jean-Pierre is like the obvious clown of the administration, but he's running a really tight second right now in just making up nonsense. Watch this. Let me ask you about the F-35. How does the US military lose a $100 million plane? That will be something that they will investigate. Uh, believe me, after every aviation mishap, the Pentagon does what the Pentagon does. They'll investigate it to try to get the answers on what happened. Um, and they'll also, I'm sure, look at their own search and recovery efforts of the aircraft itself to see um, whether that was conducted uh, in, uh, uh, in all the appropriate ways. They'll, they'll, they'll investigate this. And as the Defense Department always does, they'll be transparent about it when they, when they find the answer. Oh, well, they'll be transparent. I mean, this is the government for God. Like if my guys lost a, a piece of equipment, a camera, if a camera was missing from my yeah. studio, all hell would be breaking loose until it would be found, okay? Yeah. And it's like, Jeffrey, it's just perfect. He's perfect, right? This he's perfect bu bureaucrat, right? No, he's perfect. You know, Ed, I've never been a big fan of government. Uh, 
I've never been hugely <laughs> trusting of government, but these days uh, it's a different level. You know, I just assume that anything coming out of these people's mouths is is just is completely, um, you know, made up to to cover up. And the idea of the Department of Defense being transparent, you know, the Department of Defense was involved very deeply in the COVID response. We still cannot get a fix on that. I would love to see some transparency there. Mishap, though, boy, that word is so that's their talking point. That's the word they keep repeating. There's something yeah. embedded in that word mishap. Guys, it was a pleasure, as always. I hope you both, well, I was going to say I hope you both get home, but yeah, I think you both are at home <laughs> without losing your car or your plane or your helicopter or anything else. Uh, we'll link to all your stuff down below. For everybody else, we've got a post-game show coming up in about 30 seconds at rubenreport.locals.com. And we've got a cold close. Can we call this AI? Would this be considered AI? This might be AI-related. I don't want to be sued. Uh, thanks, guys. We'll see you. Not exactly sure what you mean. Oh. Retainer! Retainer! You want us to give you cash right now? Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget, you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubinreport.locals.com.